In the heart of the One Dish with One Spoon Treaty Territory, Niagara's Sean Vanderclis and Carl Dockstader dish on any and all issues from a First Nations perspective. From pipeline politics to poverty to pan-Indianism and more, Sean shares his concrete curve leg take and Carl gives an urban Oneida angle. You are listening to One Dish, One Mike on the Niagara Podcasters Network. All right, well, welcome to the first ever broadcast of One Dish with One Mike. Featuring Sean Vanderklee and Carl Dockstader. Did I did I say that right? No, you did not. I Butchered never say it. that right. So you're Jeez, that's it. Uh, We're gonna be canceled. Yeah. <laughs> do, do podcasts get canceled? Is that? I, I wonder. I don't know. I don't know. Are, are we rating. getting paid for this? I I, I wonder. Uh, right? is there, where's the honorarium? Is that is that kicking around in the back somewhere? <laughs> So there's there, there's no money yet, but we are working on that. <laughs> okay. as soon as we possibly can. I'll take my usual rate of, of uh, yeah, you know, a sturdy handshake. Yeah. So I'll take coffee and donuts if, if it's an option. That's true. We did get coffee out of this. Yeah. So I don't know if we should tell people that, though, because then hordes of people <laughs> sign up right? for <laughs> coffee, right? And so I don't know. That maybe that's more of a downtown Niagara Falls thing than a downtown St. Catharines <laughs> thing. So. so what do we want to talk about today? Um, who we are. Who are you, Sean? I don't know. Who's Sean, who Sean Vanderclist? A little, little uh, lost right now. That's what I am. A little tired. It's uh, a little early for a Saturday morning, but, um, but yeah. Are we allowed to talk about time even? Because people could be listening to this whenever, right? Should we? Yeah. It's snowing outside, but what if they listen on a sunny day? Will they just like change the channel? <laughs> or, I don't know. It, it's your show. You can talk about whatever you want. <laughs> All right. Excellent. So, uh, uh, where where are you from? How old are you? What's what's your background? So, uh, my name's Sean Vanderclis. I'm a Nishnabe from Curve Lake First Nations, but uh, born and raised in St. Catharines. Sorry, born in Grimsby, raised in St. Catharines. Um, urban Indigenous, living in the Niagara region since I was two years of age. So, yeah. What do you know about Curve Lake? Curve Lake, um, it's a beautiful little reserve located up around Peterborough area, um, Mississaugas of uh, Curve Lake First Nations, originally known as Mud Lake First Nation. Um, small little reserve, not too big, um, very community-focused. Um, my grandma's cousin used to be the chief. Oh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Um, so you're connected. Yeah, exactly. I, nice. I, I am, it's like uh, the front row at the powwow. Exactly, <laughs> right? You say my name and people, uh, they oh, know. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm, nice. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Does, does Curve Lake have a powwow? <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Up in uh, September. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Nice. Uh, that's the, why I think that's why we can't have the Niagara Regional uh, Native yeah, Center powwow exactly. earlier. Exactly. That was always one of the conflicts yeah. back in the day was uh, when to host and when, when we can't host. Oh, okay, nice, nice. Do you now? Are you a powwow guy? Like, do you do any of that stuff? Yeah, most definitely. Um, powwow singer, powwow drummer, um, grass dancer. Been doing it since about fourteen years of age. Wow. Yeah, it kind of goes back. Um, but yeah, I, I um, that's essentially what drew me into like the native culture and native community within uh, the Niagara region was the powwows there. Um, I had the chance of going once, and uh, ever since then I was hooked. I said I want to learn, and nice. met the right people. They showed me the right things, and then 16 years later, here I am. Awesome. For for people that don't know, what what is grass dancing? Grass dancing. So grass dancing essentially is the um, <clears throat> the first step um, 
when hosting a powwow. So we would have the grass dancers come out and we'd essentially have them bless the grounds, uh, if you will. So grass dancers, um, ideally way back when, our communities, as, as they would travel, they would want to move from location to location and not have anybody realize that we were there. So grass dancing essentially would pat down the, pat down the grass in a way that when we were done at that location we could get up and move and the grass would just pick right back up as if nobody was there so you wouldn't be able to tell that that we were there um grass dancers also were included into a a warrior society essentially too so let's say we were out fighting neighboring nations um we would send the grass dancers in to kind of do some reconnaissance work see who was there what type of weapons they had um how many warriors there were where they kept the food things like that and they would re- then report back to to our communities oh that's really neat yeah so it's a, a, a huge history that um that you couldn't learn overnight and I, i'm still learning till this day um every time i go to a different powwow, i'm learning different things and different information that uh just keeps me intrigued and keeps me wanting to know more yeah, that's cool. I think I think the powwow movement is is like it's it's its own micro economy and it's its own like microculture and it's it's got its own sort of etiquette to it. Like it, all all of this is new to me. So uh, more more or less, I mean, I say that, but uh, I mean, I guess I've been several years into the Niagara Regional Native Center powwow too. Yeah. And, and but a lot of the etiquette and the protocol and the customs. I mean, it's it's just neat that we still have that. Yeah, it's it's almost like a like a nation, if you will, within several hundred nations like it's like you said it has its own customs its own protocols its own etiquette it's uh what you can do and what you can't do right you go to any type of major powwow website and one of the first things on there is a fact sheet of what's appropriate at a powwow yeah um, that's cool it, it, it is cool so that being said uh tell me a little bit about yourself there mr doc stater uh that's my traditional introduction. That may be the, the first and the last time that, that I do that in, in this setting. But, but uh, it's, I've been taught that it's my custom, uh, or it's our custom, to always try to use the language as much as possible. So in that instance, uh, I've been, that's our traditional introduction. And, and uh, for anybody that doesn't know, uh, Sean's Anishinaabe and I'm Haudenosaunee, and they're two completely separate First Nations. They're, they're friends, yeah. uh, and we're bound together through treaties like the dish with one spoon. But ultimately, at the end of the day, they're, they're very different groups of people. So uh, the, the customary way that I introduced myself was, was that I said my name which means sunrise to Kakeidos. It's also used uh, for the direction of east because that's where the sun rises. Uh, I said my clan, Agual. I said our clan family, Hwatsadat. And Anyata'ag is the nation. And that's the Oneida Nation. That's one of the five original nations of the Six Nations, what's now known as Six Nations, or who the French called Iroquois, though that's considered to be a little uh, politically mm-hmm. incorrect these days. Or is, uh, yeah, yeah, a little yeah. bit. A little bit. It's, they, say, they say that Iroquois is, is a word that the Hurons used as a sort of raw, flesh-eating, yeah. cannibalistic yeah. people. And then, of course, the French came along and didn't understand the word and then uh, really bastardized it. And, yeah. and now they uh, came up with the term Iroquois. So a lot of modern people prefer not to use that term. Uh, it's it's hard because I study a lot of uh, 
in addition to having the benefit of, of many of our knowledge keepers that, in the, that are in the area, study a lot of texts and old books. And I mean, it's just a word yeah. that everyone uses. It's, it's kind of like Indian, yeah. actually. That's, it's, it's, accept, it's seen <laughs> as an accepted term, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, uh, but I mean, that, that in and of itself, I mean, that's, that's maybe a, a question I have is, uh, or that I get a lot of times is, is what do we call you people? Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> like, well, I don't know. How many times do you figure you even ask that question? Every day of my life, sometimes more than once a day. What do, what do we call you people? Yeah, and, right. and, and the funny thing is, is my answer always differs and varies depending on who I'm talking to, right? If I if I find myself being in the United States, I'll be like, oh, I'm um, I'm from this tribe. I'm an American Indian, right? Because yeah. down there, that's that's appropriate. That's how um, they see us. Um, if I um, at a powwow talking to other native people other first nations people i'm ojibwe i'm from curve lake first nations all right i mean i guess that's the one of the things that we struggle with is having a standardized answer like i mean essentially it would be nice to say i'm i'm anishinaabe yeah but then you have to get in the whole historical context of what is that what does that mean oh so you're native you mean oh you're indian right yeah <laughs> um yeah it's it's funny how that is what are you <laughs> well, yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't like to generalize, right? But yeah. there, there may be a certain age of people yeah. that just are married to the term Indian. Yeah. Like I can explain. Okay, indigenous means this, and yeah. it's the subset of of the First Nations, Métis, yeah. Inuit people combined are all indigenous people. Yeah. And sometimes people use native, and that's you know that's yeah. kind of okay. And people use Aboriginal, and that's an older term, but yeah. that's you know that's kind of okay too. But the most appropriate term to use is is indigenous. And, yeah. and I'll explain this to a lot of people. They'll be like, so so Indian, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I'll no indigenous and they'll say so so indian yeah exactly like the old simpsons sketch right they'll say indigenous and they'll say indian it's like no no we we can we can call each other indian yeah you You can't call us yeah exactly i'm sorry sorry about that that's if that's hard for you but but it is tough because there still is an indian act in canada uh most indigenous people carry around their their indian their certificate of indian status from the government of canada and of course they they have uh indian tribes still in the united states so it's it's, and we're we're still defined as aboriginal people within the canadian constitution too yeah um so while we're trying to figure out what to call ourselves the the federal government and the american government is also trying to figure out what to call us um and i guess to give some context to the listeners um in canada the term aboriginal encompasses three major groups first being status Sorry, first being First Nations, and then within that subsect is status Indians and non-status Indians. Uh, second being Métis, and then the third being the Inuit. In no specific order, obviously. I don't want my Inuit friends to get mad at me for saying they're <laughs> third, but but yeah. Um, so you didn't mean like like first are First Nations, and then way after them are exactly. Métis, and then way after that are Inuit. <laughs> exactly, that's, that's, right? That's not what this show That's not where I was going. We are not better. <laughs> we see diversity. We Yes, uh, uh, everybody is included in in our world so yeah it's i guess i guess that's why i chose to introduce myself or or uh, really i mean why i've been asked to introduce myself in in the language is that using our language as much as possible is is a way of reclaiming our identity because indian is a label and right. it's an external label and it goes all the way back to the deep dark roots of of colonization and christopher right. columbus yeah. and the super racist things like like there's a lot of stuff that happens in in still in 2017 that i would say is is very racist yeah, but 
most definitely. But history is super duper racist. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, the the uh, that includes the term Indian. So it's it's a little inconvenient to try and get people to use the right term. But but it's right. just it's it's bad. If you see an indigenous person, the, the please don't call them an Indian, even yeah. if they're calling themselves Indians. It's still it's still not not an appropriate term for a non-indigenous person to call an indigenous person Indian. It's it's right. just not not right. So that's why I like, I mean, I love using Angwe Hongwe, yep. which, which literally means the people original to this land yep. or, or the real people, or even using Anishinaabe, which yep. I think translates out pretty, pretty similarly yeah, to the original, to, original person. Yeah. So those yep. are, those are sort of good things to learn. Um, an example that, that I often give is like a European, right? Yep. Like it's, if you, if you took two Europeans and you put them side by side, you wouldn't necessarily be able to tell the yep, difference. Exactly. But if, if you called a German person French or a French person German, there's a, there's a strong chance that, that they would get a little offended. Yep, exactly. And I think it's, it's similar. If you, if you saw me or my family and said, Oh, look at those nice coast Salish people walking, <laughs> walking in downtown St. Catharines and say, no, no, we're, we're not those, you know, I'm sure the coast Salish people are nice. Yeah. And I love the totem pole and Centennial <laughs> Park and everything, but that's not, that's at not the us. Regional that's, Center too. <laughs> yeah. At the, yeah. At the Niagara Regional Native Center. Yeah. So, what uh, you you've been uh, involved with the Friendship Center movement? Then you said you learned how to grass yeah, dance yeah, at the Friendship definitely. Center. Um, I'm what you would call a Friendship Center baby. What's a Friendship Center? <laughs> That's another show in in and of itself. <laughs> true, true. So a uh, Friendship Center essentially is a, a social service organization that ideally has um, programs from life till death, if you will. Um, it, it's designed to assist. Indigenous people living in urban settings. Um, essentially, it was just a gathering place way back when, way back in the 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, um, when they were first beginning. It was just a, more so where Indigenous people could come together and kind of feel like they were at home within their community. Um, since they've been so successful, they've grown grown in, into being one of the largest um, um, urban Indigenous delivery agencies in, in Canada. Um, so that being said, yeah, I've been involved with the Friendship Center movement ever since I could walk. Again, my mom worked there. My mom worked there as a as a youth. Um, my father worked there, and then I eventually worked there. And then I became got really interested in the politics of the center, so I got on the board of directors, elected as a youth rep, and served some time there. Um, from there, I worked with the Ontario Federation of Indian Friendship Centers. And then there to the National Association of Friendship Centers. So I've had the honor and privilege to work at all three different levels of, of organization and government for the Friendship Center movement. And it's uh, I'm a bit big advocate for all the work they do. Um, and yeah, all the work they're going to do. It's a, it, it really is a life-changing organization, in my opinion. And I would uh, highly encourage anybody who's listening to take the time, go st- step into the front doors of the Friendship Center and say hi and... Uh, Tell them Sean and Carl sent you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's that's 382 Airport Road in Niagara on the Lake, by the way. Uh, you can go to nrnc.ca to, to get some more information, or you can go to the uh, Facebook and uh, check out the Niagara, Niagara Regional Native Center, which has an update for events. But but I didn't – I mean, I think I think I would classify myself as a Friendship Center baby, too. Uh, I've, I've had the privilege of growing up in, in a number of different communities, Uh so I've been involved with with the Namron Friendship Center, the Fort Erie Native Friendship Center, which is also located here in, in Niagara at 796 Buffalo Road. Uh, <laughs> the executive directors are going to hate us. 
<laughs> yeah, or love right. us. I mean, depending on, on how you look at it. I think I think they'd like to they'd like to have people. So um, yeah, there there probably was a was a time though when I maybe resisted the friendship center movement because yeah. I think I was worried about the government influence and yeah. and the fact that it it's funded by your tax dollars, folks. Yeah. Like that's we we uh, I'm very proud to say is the three time chair of the Niagara Regional Native Center Powell that that we raised up our own funds for that and and by we I really mean a lot of people that that contributed to that and and that helped raise those funds but but at the end of the day the friendship center movement is is core funded it's funded by tax dollars and and i know for me that that's sort of an issue i mean it's we're we're taught as Haudenosaunee people that that we are not supposed to travel in the path of the ship we're supposed to try and live our own ways use our own resources and support our own cultures so so for me i mean even though I've been involved with the Friendship Center movement for my entire life, I, it, I was slow to come around. And it wasn't until I realized what a great tool it was for, for positive change that it was time to try and do my part. And, and then I got on the board of yep. the Niagara Regional Native Center. Next thing you know, we're, we're having powwows and I'm helping out with the executive. I'm learning all this great stuff, learning about the, the great history. Because, again, I'm, I, I think at the end of the day, I would say I'm a 40 year Native Friendship Center baby. And yep. I'd say that you're a Niagara Regional Native yep. Center baby. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but I, I'm enjoying my time over at Niagara Regional. And it's, it's a great center with great people. And they do great things over there. So perfect, yeah. It's a nice plug. Yeah, right. I, like, I feel like they should be paying so, us. So again, that's nrnc.ca. Yeah, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> though that is the website. Uh, <laughs> what what's what's pan Indianism? What does that mean to you? Pan Indianism. Well, first thing we need to focus on there is the term Indian. <laughs> yeah, right. Pan Indianism. Um, so essentially, what pan Indianism uh, in my. Uh, my life experiences it's a term where every aspect of being indigenous is amalgamated into into one melting pot um one big culture it's essentially like saying the term aboriginal or indigenous in itself those are pan-indian terms where you're taking 560 something different nations and saying that we are all the same much like your um your european Pardon me, your European reference earlier. It's it's the same thing with um, with indigenous people to say that the Anishinaabe are the same are the same as the Haudenosaunee, and while we may live close to one another um, and have similar practices, we are completely different people, different nations, different um, customs, different protocols. Maybe that's a good way to illustrate some some differences. Like, yeah. for example, if if you were going to have an Anishinaabe social, what kind of drum would you use? I would use a powwow drum. See, and we would use a water drum. Yep. So, what's the again for people that don't know? What's what's the difference? How would you describe the big drum to people? So, the term powwow drum, big drum, the Anishinaabe word is daywagon, and what that literally translates into is a living heartbeat. Um, so, for us, a powwow drum is usually about a foot in diameter is that a fair statement maybe a foot and a half yeah maybe yeah maybe, maybe a meter yeah maybe yeah maybe even a meter i mean depending on the family i guess big trains drum is huge yeah right <laughs> um but it, it's a bigger drum very similar to a bass drum that you would see on um in a, any musical band um but a little more traditional so it's generally speaking it's made out of wood it's made with rawhide that's uh on both sides um there's no artificial i sorry ideally there's no artificial products involved with like glue or nails things like things of that nature um anywhere from two to 12 guys can get around the drum again depending on the size you can fit as many as you want big train out in six nations mr pat green there his family drum is is probably the biggest drum i've ever been at and i've seen i would i want to say close to 20 people singing at it wow that's amazing yeah 
Yeah, there's some there's something to be said for getting a bunch of a bunch of guys around a big drum and they all really know the song and they're singing mm-hmm. from their hearts and yeah, and exactly. It's, there's something powerful and I think I think that the uh, uh, big distinction with it, I really think that Anishinaabe people are fortunate uh, or anybody who uses a big drum because that, that's the prototypical drum that I think everyone yep. thinks of, right? Like yep. that's when you when you think of a powwow and yep. you think of that drum, then that's the drum. Uh, for the Haudenosaunee people, we use we use the water drums, okay, which are which are a little different. They're they're much smaller. They're really the the opening is is uh, or the top of the drum is maybe larger than than a big cappuccino cup. Yeah, uh, and it's it's a handheld drum. It's it's played by a single singer, and then in in many of the songs that use the water drum it's supported by it's supported by horn rattles which again are just little little sort of shaker rattles and, right. and i think i think that it almost uh it almost maybe reflects the the nature of the individual nation that that we we've always been taught to be very humble people and that you're not supposed to brag or to talk about yourself and, and right. i think that's almost reflected in our music in that it's it's a smaller instrument and it takes yeah. more people to make a bigger song but i think that that's for for anybody that thinks that of the power and almost the majesty yeah. of the big drum. I would challenge them to to go to a social again where, right. where the men really know the song and where they're only using the, the horn rattles. There's yeah. only two men that lead with the horn rattles and, and listen to, like, say, a pigeon dance where where everybody's singing in unison. And again, there's that big bellowing bass and people are making music with their feet and the shuffling and the and the sense of togetherness. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just a small contrast that... Yeah. that between between the two nations, just just in the music, right? yeah, like, exactly. What are I mean? What are what are some other we like? We have this actually. This is another one, right? Yeah. That uh, non-indigenous people will ask all the time. Oh, well, do you, or do you have a headdress? You know, yeah. do you wear <laughs> do you wear a headdress? And and actually, for yeah. for Haudenosaunee people, the the answer is kind of because we have the gastoa, yeah, which I think is neat because if if I see someone with a gastoa and I see that they have three eagle feathers sticking straight up, I know they're Mohawk, instantly, Gunny and Geha, and if they have the two. Feathers, Feathers up with the one feather down. Then a, oh hey, cuz you know Anyata Ag, you're Oneida like yeah. like me, right? So it's but it's a little bit different. Is is there anything like that for Anishinaabe people? I mean, like when I grass dance, I wear what's called a roach, um, and depending on the style of grass dancer, like our feathers sticking up can change. Um, anywhere from feathers to plumes, um, but it doesn't. Unfortunately, it doesn't. Not unfortunately. That's a horrible term, but uh, uh, it doesn't signify what nation you are. Um, it's really pref- preference to the dancer and his style. Is grass dancing specific to Anishinaabe people? No. Okay. No, it, it originates out, out uh, west. Okay. Yeah, in the plains. I guess not out west. Midwest. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Neat. Yeah. Wow. So one of the things that I've always, not always, but one of the things that I've always wanted to work with you on is, is that while we are indigenous, we are, have two different views when it comes down to it. You know what I mean? Like we we. Um, I agree with you on everything. I just want to get that out of the way. <laughs> I always agree with Sean. Sean's a very smart guy, and I tend to agree with him one hundred percent of the time. I have no idea what he's talking yeah. about right now. <laughs> well, when the show was proposed to us, I you know I thought like who better than Carl Doxater, right? It, I think it would uh, would work out um, fantastic. I mean, we are indigenous, but we do have completely opposite views on on numerous issues. Um, so that that being said, uh, fuck. I think I think we're running up on. I actually think we're running up on on time for this. So, but but I do before before we wrap this episode, I would like to. I mean, we we picked the name one dish one mic. Thank you. That's I, where I was going. I think that at the very least, I think that that should be our sort of closing closing mm-hmm. thought of. Uh, I mean the. Uh, 
the whole theme of this show is who the hell are Sean and Carl? Exactly. Right? But then anybody that if you've gotten this far yeah. <laughs> in listening to this podcast and you didn't throw your iPhone out the window <laughs> at something we said, maybe the part where we said you can't call us Indian, people are like, oh, that's it. Then. I'm, I'm going to call them whatever I want. Yeah, exactly. But what what is what is one dish one mic? What is that a reference to? What is I mean I don't you know I maybe I know I think yeah. you know but maybe for the people out there that don't know. I would leave that to you. All right. Well, yeah, this is this is your baby. <laughs> We're uh, another one of the questions that I'm very glad to be asked about these days is whose traditional territory are we on? Right. There is a real push, and I, I'd actually like to see every city council, regional council uh, in Toronto. They're they're acknowledging the traditional territory in all 600 of the schools. I I saw. Uh, so I'd, I'd like to see everybody start to acknowledge that this is the, the shared territory of the Anishinaabe people and the Haudenosaunee people. There, there's a lot of history, and I think that we could probably do a whole show around treaties and right. the different agreements. But, but at the, the end of the day, this was traditionally Attawandaran territory or people that were better known as the neutral people that, that occupied this territory. For, for They're saying that there's 10,000-year-old artifacts that are, oh, wow. that are around here that they're finding. So they've been here for for quite a while but around 1650 the uh there started to be some conflict between many of the first nations and at that time many historians believe that the Attawandaran were absorbed into the Seneca nation which would bring them into the Haudenosaunee confederacy but throughout the next century or so there was there was strife between the Anishinaabe people and the yeah. Haudenosaunee people until around 1700 when when they realized that perhaps they had a common enemy in the settlers so they formulated amongst themselves the dish with one spoon treaty which which on a very simple level there's one dish and there's one spoon because everything is meant to be shared. And that's how that's how Niagara is seen and, and it's a shared worldview from Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee people that there there's a finite amount of resources and we have a fixed responsibility to try and care for those resources. So if you look at everything in the context of, of one bowl that we all eat out of, that we all share from, that we all contribute to, then then that's that's the philosophy that the two First Nations and their leaders and the two confederacies actually yeah. agreed on at the time is that is that we're going to have this one dish, and if you need something from the dish, you can take it. If you have the ability to put something back in the dish, you can take it. If you take something from the dish and you make a bit of a mess of it, it's, it's your responsibility to, to help clean that up. And that even into the modern treaties and the, the Treaty of Niagara in 1764, that, that that principle of the one dish of the shared resources of, of the common good of the shared responsibility that we have is something that's been carried forward. So for the name of this show, it seemed appropriate to call it one dish with right. one mic because we, we probably will have some divergence on some issues. Most definitely. But at the end of the day, we, we realize that it's the, the things that we have in common that are important. Yeah. The, the, that we'll be we'll be talking about the one dish from from the one mic, and I hope that we get lots of listeners that are interested in all the things we're interested in. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Well said, Mister Doxator. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, kind sir. So I, I'd like to say congratulations. I feel like this is a, a successful first show. I feel like we've uh, created some controversy. Maybe my, my mom maybe will not. listen. I'm sure my mom yeah. will listen, and my wife Amy will listen. I, I know my mom's going to hit the like <laughs> button on the on the Facebook post. I'm not sure if she'll actually listen, but she'll definitely hit the like button. <laughs> okay, she may even share go. it if we're lucky a couple of oh, times. Oh, nice. nice. Yeah, but um, <laughs> I guess with that being said, to everybody who's listening, if you like, take the time, hit that like button, hit the share button. Um, if, if we say something to offend, let us know. Um, the whole point of this is to, to create a dialogue, a healthy dialogue um, at that. So again, thank you. Miigwech. Thank you. Nyawa.
right, till next time. Thanks for listening to One Dish, One Mic on the Niagara Podcasters Network. Your hosts are Carl Dockstader and Sean Vanderklis. Recording is done at the Pop-Up Podcast Studio at Cowork Niagara, home of Niagara's independent workforce. Executive producer is Trevor Twining. Production assistance by Daniel Twining. Show artwork by Mitch Baird. Music by DJ Shub, used with permission. If you have show ideas or comments, you can reach us on Twitter at Niagara Podcasts. 